0: We are uh, glad that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Let me tell you a little bit about something going on just so you can know about it and you can be praying about it uh, that I'm, I'm grateful for. I'm thankful for um, kind of behind the scenes kind of stuff. Uh, there is uh, a group of pastors that are gathering together and really Ben has kind of helped spearhead this uh, to happen. Um, uh, other church planters, other guys that have started churches working together To try to create some sort of a residency program, um, and um, uh, for guys who feel called to plant churches, start new churches, and so uh, you know we've we've got right now we've got a couple guys even asking for us to be their mother church, their sponsor church, uh, all this kind of stuff, Uh, and we do support uh, a handful of church plants uh, financially, praying for them. You'll and and you'll be seeing some of that stuff out here. Uh, in out in front of your faces, out in the foyer and some of that here pretty soon. Uh, some information about them so you can be praying for them as well. Um, but uh, I, anyway, I, I just wanted to share with you that there's a group of pastors that are getting together, guys that have started churches, that uh, we desire to help uh, create a residency for guys that feel called to plant churches uh, that we work together in instead of Uh, one guy just comes and like he stays at 24 or whatever while he's working through uh, getting ready to plant his church or whatever, Um, you know, that the idea would be that we work together as different pastors and different churches uh, to expose them to different things and to help them with different things and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's exciting. I'm excited about it and uh, I I just... I felt led this morning to just kind of share about that. You can be praying about that, and be praying about yeah, the other churches are going to be involved uh, with that. Uh, there are other churches of other ethnicities and and things. And uh, in fact, we all talked about um, you know sharing, uh, you know, uh, teaching at one another's churches and all that, in the days to come. And so we'll be doing some of that and uh, be fun and all that good stuff. So, uh, but uh, thanks to Ben for working on that. Ben Ben actually works uh, for the Nashville Baptist Association. Uh, to help church planters specifically. Uh, that is his other job, one of his other jobs. Uh, and so uh, he, he does spend a lot of time doing that uh, and does a great job with that. So very thankful that uh, we can be involved with that. So uh, pretty cool stuff. Um, all right. If you got a Bible, let's get it out and let's go. Mark chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible our ushers have Bibles, they will bring you a Bible. If you are just absolutely too lazy to bring yours to church, uh, or not nah, just, I'm just mess with you. I'm just kidding, we, you. Uh, you know, a little jab. Uh, and then no, but uh, if uh, if you don't uh, if you don't own one, we would love for you to take that one and keep it. Uh, or if you just need to borrow it, that's fine too. We would just love for you to be able to follow along in God's word with us this morning. Uh, but we're going to Mark chapter three. Uh, and uh, if you are just borrowing it, you can always return it back to the bookcases on your way out and help the guys out a little bit with that. Uh, but uh, no, we'd love for you to be able to take that. Mark chapter three. Uh, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Mark um, is one of those. In other words, a go- one of the Gospels is one of the stories of Christ's life and his ministry. And uh, and so, uh, just told by four different people. And four different, uh, you know, and people getting to see, uh, you know, a friend or whatever. You know, talking to them uh, and, and, and sharing the stories that they know about them. And, and uh, pretty cool stuff. Uh, Mark... Um, and, and we've, been, we've been going through the book of Mark here. And, uh, you know, we're kind of coming off the heels. And I think that's important to kind of remember as we're moving into this next passage here. We're coming off the heels of a whole bunch of, like, uh, Jesus has come. And Jesus is starting to share about what he's doing and who he is a little bit. Little bits and pieces there, here and there. And it is stirring the pot. Uh, the pot is, is stirred. And people are wound up. In fact, you go to the passage before this. Which we talked about last week, and literally enemies are coming together to come against Jesus, like like the, you know the big religious leaders uh, who think that they've got everything figured out. Which Jesus has come and is coming is kind of shaking things up, and it's got them all antsy and worried and whatnot. And then you've got people that are. Uh, you know, uh, supporters of the government, the Herodians, and uh, you know these are the Herodians and the and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. These are not people that would normally have been friends. Uh, they weren't really on the same page most of the time. And uh, just to kind of show you, just you know how crazy the moment is, and and, and it's and it's very kind of political, even uh, what's going on. Not that Jesus was trying to be political; he's just being Jesus. Uh, and but it's it's stirring everybody. And, uh, and the Herodians and the, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're coming together to come against Jesus, and it says to destroy him. And so, I mean, already, I mean, Jesus' ministry has just started, and already, already Jesus is coming against uh, this type of, uh, of craziness. And so, uh, we're seeing that. And then, t- so today, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing on in chapter 3, and, and I think we just kind of have to remember that's the climate of what's going on. And so then Jesus, and we'll see this in this passage, he basically takes uh, all of the people that are following him, so to speak, and they all go up on a mountain together to kind of get away, uh, to get away from that, to get away from that crazy, I think, and probably to get away from some of the, uh, the political and all this other stuff. And I'm sure if you're like me, some days you want to get away from all that stuff too. Uh, but, you know, just to be able to, to go and just uh, be able to share with them, you know, what, what you know, is, this is all about and that kind of thing. And uh, and really kind of almost the beginning of a revolution, if you will. Uh, And so uh, here we have Mark chapter 3. We'll just go ahead and read verse 7. It says this, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Udamea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So let me kind of help kind of paint the picture here of what's going on with Jesus. Jesus has like gone into like rock star mode. Uh, is not not really, like he's not thinking that way, but the crowds are getting nuts. There's so many people pining after just trying to get near him, to touch him, to touch his clothing in hopes, a lot of them, in hopes that they would be healed. What's happened is, and, and you see, and we've seen in these passages before where Jesus healed a few people, and as He's healed some of these people, He has said to them, "Hey, don't go tell everybody what I did." And and that seems weird to us because we're like, why, you know, why, why not? Well, it, it's really kind of because Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't want like a million people like coming at him and literally like, you know, bombarding what he's trying to do. He's got a mission that he's on and he's trying to complete that mission. And uh, you can imagine, imagine, imagine you find out that somebody has the power to heal any disease. What happens with that? Like he heals your friend and then your friend comes back and is like, hey, guess what? I'm healed. You'll never believe it. I met this guy and, you know, he's healing people and, you know, he's just, he's got the ability. And so, and so what happens is like you pick up the phone And you call everybody that you know that's got some kind of disease. And you're like, hey, there's this guy that can heal you. You need to get to this guy like right now before he gets out of town or whatever. And so, I mean, literally just just crowds and crowds of people, a mob of people are coming at Jesus because they want to be healed. It goes on in verse 10. It says, for he had healed many. This is the explanation of the whole lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around Him to touch Him they are coming from all around. This is before anybody was doing social media marketing campaigns. It's just word of mouth. People showing up. Verse 11, And whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they fell down before Him and cried out, You are the Son of God. The unclean spirits. So the unclean spirits, I really believe in this passage, are a lot of what was making many of these people sick. Uh, if you want to call it possession or whatever it is, uh, go for it. I mean, this is, this is what it is. It's, you know, there's something supernatural going on here. <coughs> Spiritual warfare, if you will. And, and there are spirits, obviously we know they're unclean because Scripture is calling them that, and they recognize Jesus at the sight of him. And, and we know that they know who he is because it says that they cry out, you are the son of God. And so Jesus is there. The unclean spirits are freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh. And they're bowing down because they recognize this is the son of God. This is the creator of the world. He has power over us. In verse 12, Jesus says to them, uh, it, it, it just says, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known not to make him known. And and you know I think for us this morning, I think for us to see again, he's he's got a mission, he's trying to stay on the mission of the things that he's trying to accomplish. And so he is shushing their mouths so that, that everybody doesn't, you know, get all flustered with this news of that he's the son of God. You know, he's he's kind of got a plan. He's got, you know, we're going to we're going to do this. We're going to get so far and then we're going to have a release party for that and then so far and then we're going to do, you know, and and so Jesus Tells them, he's like, you're going to be quiet. Goes on in verse 13, where we see Jesus begin to build his team. Jesus begins to build his team. And it says, and he went up on the mountain and he called to them those who he desired. And they came to him. I want, I want you to pay real close attention to the, what it just said. That Jesus called them up, those who he desired desired. Jesus wanted, he knew who he wanted to be on his team. He called up those who he desired. In verse 14, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and to have authority and cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, And John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. That is Sons of Thunder, which is the better name, I think. Like, if I mean, you know, I just tell you, if Jesus showed up today and he wanted to name me Sons of Thunder, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear about it, and I'm dropping Chris like a bad habit. I mean, I, I'm just—I'm done with that, and I am now Sons of Thunder. And if—and if—and if anybody wants to give me lip about it, I'm gonna be like, and "They're like, you—what do you think you are getting to call yourself Sons of Thunder?" I'm gonna be like, "Jesus gave me that name. What you gonna do about it?" You know just to be able to like rename everybody. I did that when I was a youth pastor, by the way. I I renamed every kid in our youth ministry. There's not one kid that came through our youth ministry that was ever known, by the time they graduated high school, even their friends knew them by whatever I nicknamed them, which was pretty awesome. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. I thought it was fun. So it goes on, it says, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We all know Judas, right? Who betrayed him. Not yet. Verse 20. He's putting the team together here. We've got three years of ministry to do after this. Verse 20. Then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when the family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Jesus' family are like, dude, I mean, this this sound this sounds like so like I, we can like see this playing out. Like in today's day and age. Like, you know, they're trying to eat, the people just keep coming by. They're not stopping, there's crowds outside, Jesus ends up outside, the family has to go out and get him like, dude, come on, dinner's getting cold, you know, like we got crab legs in here, you know. I had crab legs last night for my birthday, it was good. So Jesus, Jesus is out here and his own family, they think that that he's lost his mind. And 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 who knows? Who knows what's really at play? Are they just annoyed with everything going on? Uh, I mean, obviously they really think he's out of his mind. They're so they're not completely bought into who Jesus really is. And we're not saying all of them, but some of them at least. And you would think that all of them should know by now that Jesus. There's something different about Jesus. I mean, you saw him at the family reunion, and you, I mean, you just knew something's just a little bit different about Jesus. But you know, maybe it's just that he's crazy. Okay. Or maybe he's the Son of God. We're not sure exactly. Jesus chooses 12. Jesus choosing 12 was making a statement. This was a number that the people of Israel were familiar with. There were 12 tribes of Israel. I think it's interesting that Jesus chose the 12 that he chose. If I were to ask you, if you were building a team, and let's just assume for a moment that you're leading something. I don't know, you come up in your mind with whatever it is you think you want to lead. It could be, I don't know, I won't even go there. It could be all kinds of things. But you're going to lead something, and you're going to put together a team. And you're going to select, and let's just say you're going to select a dozen people for your team. Well, you're probably going to select a dozen people that you think are good at what you need them to do on the team. Otherwise, why put them on the team, right? So you're gonna you're gonna select people that you think are good at it. Number one, and number two, you're gonna select people that you think are trustworthy, people that have got your back. Because let's just face it, as as and I can say this as a leader, as a leader, if people on my team, if I don't think they've got my back, they're gone. I mean, I, we can't do that. That's bad. It's bad in any situation. You know, you've got you've got as a team, you've got to be a team. So. If I showed up, let's just say you got your team together and you're doing work together, whatever it is you've made up in your head, and I show up at your work and I see some of the members of your team and I, I see one of them and I say, hey, is this, are these the people on your team that you've put together? And you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, this is my team we're doing. And I said to you, well, let me tell you something. That guy right there that's on your team, I happen to know he's been talking to me about you and it's been bad. He, In fact, he, I think he's stabbing you in the back. Now, as the leader of your team, do you think you want that guy on your team? No. You don't want somebody like that on your team. Interestingly enough, we're talking about Jesus, who is God, and the Son of God. And Jesus knew everything about all 12 of these guys. Jesus knew that Judas would betray him. Jesus knew that. I mean, think about being Jesus on the day that you're like, hey, Judas, Judas Iscariot, come on with us. I I want you to join me. And he even knows the time frame. They don't know any time frames. They just know that they're going to follow this guy that's done amazing things, and they probably don't completely understand exactly who he is. Maybe Maybe some of them do. But they're following this guy and they don't know for how long. And Jesus in his mind is going, Yeah, well, you know, here in about three years and two days and 12 hours and you know 15 seconds, you're gonna sell me out for a for a little bag of silver. And he doesn't say that. But like if you and I had that knowledge. And even let's let's just play this out. Let's just say that we we even knew that God wanted that person to be on our team and we knew that ahead of time. And 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 we're going to and we're going to go ahead and go, "Well, I you know, I know that, but I'm going to go ahead and put him on the team because I know God wants him to be on the team or whatever." We we would still struggle. We would still struggle. We would we would probably do little jabs. We'd be like, we have been like, oh, man, I'm so glad to have you on the team, even though you're going to sell me out one day and get me killed. And then be like, what, what, what? Oh, I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding with you. I'm just making stuff up. That's funny, isn't it? I mean, Jesus never does any of that. Jesus puts these guys on his team. Judas betrays him, yeah. Peter, who's like his boy, I mean, Peter... And Jesus, they're tight. I mean, eventually we get to like the inner three. We got all kinds of discipleship going on, by the way, with the twelve and then the inner three. And we'll get into that as, as, the, as the book continues to unfold. But Jesus doesn't just have Judas betraying him. He's got Peter, who's his boy, who is going to what? deny him three times. And if you don't think that Jesus didn't know it, just remember that Jesus told him he was going to do it. We forget that, don't we? We forget that Jesus is like, oh yeah, by the way, before this all finishes out and goes down, you're going to deny me three times before the, before the rooster crows. And Peter's like, what? Uh, uh, not, I mean, not me. Jesus, 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 you're my, you're my boy, Jesus. No, I'm not going to do that. I would never do that to you. I'm, I'm with you, you know? And people come along when they're in the process of getting ready to kill Jesus that night, and they find, they see Peter, and like, hey, aren't you, aren't you one of the guys that hung out with this guy that we're going to kill? Oh, no, that's not me. That's not me. And, I, and maybe, I wonder, you know, the first time Peter, did Peter go, oh, man, I can't believe I just did that. And then he does it two more times, and then the rooster crows, and then Peter's like, oh, man, Jesus called it. He knew. Of course, he knew he's Jesus. And you go, well, you know, that's just two of the 12. So, you know, at least, at least the other 10 got his back. I mean, did they? Did I mean what what happened when this really went down? You don't you don't see any of the disciples down on the front row waiting with their fan club tickets. Like going, oh Jesus, you're my boy, they're, they're all gonna pay Jesus. I know you're gonna teach them, show them, you're gonna show them what it's, you know, show them how it's done. No, they're gone. They ran away. They're in fear for their lives. They're they're fearing for being arrested and killed themselves because of being associated with Jesus. It really isn't far off how we treat Him some days of our lives. We're just honest. You ever feel lonely? Ever feel lonely? Of course you do. You're a human being. At some point in your life, you will feel lonely. I have. I have and haven't had a reason, one, to feel that way, but I have felt lonely at times in my life. And I can tell you right now, Jesus understands what lonely feels like. He picks 12 guys to spend three years, not three days, not a weekend retreat, not three hours where they're just going to go get some pizza together. Three years, they go with Jesus. They see Him do amazing things. He does things for them. He sticks up for them. He speaks out for them. He teaches them. He gives to them. I mean, just imagine Jesus being like one of your close friends. Like, there's not anything Jesus isn't going to do. Like, you have a need, Jesus going to be like, here you go, you can have mine. You still hungry? Here's my pizza. And all 12 of them, nowhere to be found at the time of when Jesus himself is being killed. He knows what it's like to be lonely. Jesus has called us to follow him. Following is not easy sometimes, is it? You know, sometimes God puts people over us that are hard to follow. And sometimes he himself is hard to follow. I I've I know that I've had jobs at times when I, I have been under the authority that God has put over me in having a situation where I've got somebody that's a boss or whatever. And they be people that are really hard to follow. And man, I gotta tell you, that's that's tough. It's hard. And sometimes, sometimes you just you're doing your best to just Go, God, I know you've called me to be in this situation. You've called me to follow this person. I want to be faithful to you. And so you try to be faithful to the Lord by following them, even though you may not agree with it. And sometimes that's just what you have to do. The idea of that makes sense to us. And yet I think for a lot of us, we don't realize that Jesus being the lord of our life means that we would make him the boss. We love that word, don't we? That word gets used a little differently. Sometimes these days like that's so boss. You know. But a boss, you know, you know, not just in that context but in the context of you take it as the boss of life, not just boss of work you know you've got you've got this understanding of that that Jesus wants to lead and guide everything that we do that's Jesus lord of our life he's he's boss right and and for us today even just as we think about that if we really are honest with ourselves most of the time he's not we're not letting him be the lord of our life we're we're Having a pinch of Jesus with all this stuff that we really want in life. Jesus talks about that. He talks about what it looks like to follow him. I, mean, you, you, I think about these disciples. I think about for three years they followed him, and for three years they, you know, were trying to do the best. But in the end, they, I mean, they jacked it up. I mean, we see them at the very end, at the finish line, they're jacking it up. Thank God, Jesus comes back. And like talks to him and he's like, Hey, you're forgiven. I love you guys. Imagine being those guys at that point. Like, you, you know that he knows that you denied him, he knows it, you know, and then he's still like, Hey, I love you guys. Jesus says that we must count the cost. Paul says we must count the cost. Jesus says we must take up our cross. And he wants to make fishers of fish into fishers of men. What's that look like for us? If we, wanna, if we say we want to follow Jesus, how do we follow Jesus and take up our cross? I mean, what's that what's that really look like? Well, I want to read this passage to you out of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10 gives us this little nugget that is, quite honestly, very hard to read. And it's about us following Jesus. It's about what it. What, what will happen if we do oftentimes? And it says this, and this is, this is not the you know, Cinderella story, everything's pretty and every, you're going to be happy if you follow Jesus all the time and everything's going to be hunky-dory. This is, this is reality. It says this in verse 34 of Matthew 10. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. What, wait, what? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. But a sword, a sword, what kind of sword? I'm talking about a big old honking samurai sword, okay? Talking about a sword that will cut you, okay? And Jesus goes on and says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And some of you daughter-in-laws, just right now, we're like, well, that explains a whole lot. This is all Jesus, and I feel a lot better right now. Don't take it too far, okay? We'll talk about it here in a second. And it says, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's that's some strong stuff. I mean, that's strong stuff. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Simply put, simply put, Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you are going to probably come at odds with people that you love you're probably going to come at odds with people that you love, people that you care for, people that you're related to, people you live in the same house with. And and here's why. And this is what Jesus is trying to help us to see, is that many of those people, even Mm -hmm. though some of them may claim differently, many of those people are following the things of this world and not Jesus. And therefore, it pits us against them at times. It's not because Jesus wants us to have bad relationships with people that we love. That's not it. In fact, we've got scripture galore for days where we're called to love them, you know, even honor them at times. Talk about honor your father and mother and all that kind of thing. There's a whole, that's a whole ball of wax. You take those two things and then you flesh all that out together. But Jesus is basically up front saying, hey, just because you love me and just because... I'm your boss, doesn't mean that everything's going to be easy. If somebody led you to believe that when you became a Christian at some point in time, then they probably meant well with what they were doing, but the truth is, is that that's not really the gospel. The gospel is that sometimes we still suffer for the sake of Christ. Christ. Take up your cross and follow me. He says, if you can't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. He's like, I need your total devotion. Total devotion. And we're like, man, look at the disciples. <laughs> they had three years. And they're hanging out with him. They're doing camp outs every day. I mean... How how much closer to Jesus can you get than like, hey Jesus, will you hand me that kindling? You want another hot dog? Jesus. And what? Jesus takes up his cross and they bolt. They're gone. <laughs> Even the disciples decided that following Jesus was too difficult the night He was arrested, and every one of them deserted Him. The passage goes on right there. It has one more verse I want to read. Verse 39. It says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. Whoever finds his life will lose it, Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? We are so into the pursuit of our lives. Like we, we want all of this stuff, you know. We've got, all, we got in our mind like if we could get all of these things and life could be like this and we get that paid off and we do this, that we would be so happy. And we know better because we've been pursuing stuff forever and we've gotten things before. I mean, you think about it for a minute. The pursuit of things in this world and of this world are things that make us happy for a minute. They give us peace for a minute. And then what? One of the most troubled people that I know right now in my life is an older friend of mine who lost his son a couple years ago and he has all the money in the world. And I love him dearly. And I asked him on Friday how he was doing and he told me, he said, I struggle to know what the meaning of my life is supposed to be. He could write a check that could probably pay off four or five houses or more in here, and never miss it, and doesn't care about it, and he doesn't live like he's got it either. We think that that stuff is going to make us happy, and I'm here to tell you today that you and I both know the truth, and that's that it won't. It's nice for a minute, and about five months down the road, we're thinking, you know, somebody else comes along like, oh yeah, you know, you got that big thing that happened in your life here a little while back, guess that's just... You know, guess you're really happy and all this kind of stuff. And, and you're like, well, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about what happened about five months ago. Yeah, it was good. I was, was good for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, we put on a good face. Jesus is over here like, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm what you need. I'm your peace. I'm your peace. I'm everything for you. And I love you, and I care for you, and all you need to do is follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And and what's he say? Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what he's saying is, he's saying if you're looking for life in this life, and you make your life in this life all about this life, you will lose it. You will never be happy. You will, never, you will never have peace that surpasses all understanding because we know from Scripture that only comes from Jesus. Luke 9, same passage. I want, it gives us just a little more. Luke 9, verse 23. I want to read it, read it to you. It says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Daily is good for us, by the way. Okay? like We need, we need, we need to be reminded of that. Take up His cross daily and follow Me. Verse 24, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And I think that the truth is, is that most of us know that we are in the pursuit of, of most things in this world that are going to lead to us losing or forfeiting ourselves over following Jesus and our life being for the kingdom. And having meaning, real, real meaning, real meaning, real meaning to even this life. And a life that is to come. And that's hard for us to stomach, isn't it? Like we, we know the truth about a lot of our lives. That verse 39 out of, out of Matthew 10, whoever finds his life lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I really, I really think that that's like this. You've you you got a hobby or maybe something you enjoy doing, and it might even be work. But you can, lose, you, can, you can lose yourself in it. In fact, we use, we use terminology sometimes like, I lose time when I start doing that. You know, I, 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 you know, I'll get into doing that and I'll realize like hours later, I've been doing that all night and it's late into the night or whatever it is and all of a sudden I realize I've, just, I've, lost, the, I've lost the whole evening doing it because I just enjoyed it. I just lost myself in it. And I really think that's what Jesus is looking for for us. To understand is that we can lose ourselves in Him. And that when we do, everything else changes. The importance of things that are so important to us, 15 minutes ago... When we lose ourselves in Christ, all of a sudden the importance of life completely changes. And all of a sudden we see so clearly like, oh, here's an opportunity. Here's somebody that needs me right now. Oh, here's a a chance where I I can be Christ to them. All these people, the crowds of people that were coming to Jesus. They were coming to Jesus because they needed physical healing, didn't they? I mean, like, I mean, it just it says that we've got we've got just tons and tons of people that are just 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 trying to touch him, just get in the crowd like near him in hopes that if they just barely touch his garment that they'll be healed. You know, here here's something that I think would fascinate those people if you could go back and you could explain it to them. Is that yeah, Jesus had complete and utter control over their illnesses and their diseases and possessions and unclean spirits and all that stuff. I mean, Jesus could heal anybody. But Jesus wasn't going around healing people because He felt sorry for them and He didn't want them to suffer. Jesus was healing people so that they, the people at large, these crowds of people, would begin to understand and put the pieces together of who He is is the Son of God. God Himself, the Creator of the universe. You see, Jesus had something better than physical healing. Jesus had something to offer, which was His life. That if we would believe in Him and trust in Him to be our boss that our sins could be forgiven. Our sins. Think about that for a minute. Jesus, the guy who picked 12 knuckleheads to be his apostles. Guys, who he was going to send out. You guys are going to go out. You're going to heal people. You're going to tell people about who I am. You're going to tell people about God's plan. God's going to use you. 12 knuckleheads. And we look at that and we go, I can't believe Judas did that. I can't believe Peter denied Jesus after all Jesus did, pouring into him. Can't believe that they did that. The truth is, is that's us. And when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go there just for 12 knuckleheads. He went there for every single one of us. He already knew everything that we would ever do in our life. He already knew about all our sin. And yet He loved us anyway. And He saved us. For those of us that have believed in Him, He's done the work. He's given out the gift. The gift, you say? What gift? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You can't get it from somebody else. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I'm I'm actually really glad that Jesus, that 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 the Lord had this as the plan. I, I got to tell you, because people that boast annoy me. Do they annoy you? You know, somebody that you know just boasts all the time. I mean, sometimes it's funny if they think they're you know if they're just being funny and. Whatever, but then there's those people that like no, they legitimately like they just boast all the time and they really believe it. And those people are annoying. And you know you, you have those people in your life, and they're like, oh look at me, and look at what I've done, and this is what I've done. What have you done? And you just kind of like, well, I'll tell you what I'm about to do. I think I'm gonna punch you in the face. <laughs> and Jesus, being Jesus, knew from the get go that it wouldn't be good if we wanted to punch each other in the face. Because we had earned our salvation and we had earned forgiveness of our sin because we were good church people or we tried harder. That's why these people loved Jesus. That's why they were crowding around Him. He didn't come and say, you need to try harder. They were already hearing that. (laughs) He was saying, you don't need to try harder, you need me. And you can't earn it. And therefore, you can't boast about it. It's a gift. It's grace. You don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. We're sinners. We deserve death. And Jesus said, Guess what I'll do? I'll come and I'll take that death for you. All you got to do is believe. Believe in me. Let me be the boss, the boss of your life. Let me lead you. You see, we're not saved by the things that we do for Jesus but by what He's done for us. Say it again. We're not saved by the things that we do for Jesus, but for what He's done for us. And We've got to remember that. It all hinges on Him. It all hinges on Him. So, let's say you're a Christian here today and you're struggling with following Jesus. Welcome to the party, okay if you're a Christian here today and you don't think that you are, then spend some time with Jesus and, and come back and let 's talk about it again. you know We all struggle with following Jesus. I mean, we're a bunch of sinners living in this world in this day and age, this fallen place. Of course we're struggling with following Jesus, but let me let me give you something that I think is super huge for us this morning and is a help literally literally Jesus called it the helper you see when Jesus went back to be with the father he told us he said i'm going to send you something there's going to be something that comes and it's going to come, we're going to we're going to trade places it's called the holy spirit the holy spirit is what leads us to follow jesus we've made the holy spirit out to be something crazy and that we don't want to be a part of and People dance in the churches that really like the Holy Spirit, and we don't, we're like, that's no, not the kind of church I want to go to. It's kind of crazy to me, or whatever. And I'm just going to tell you that the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're equals. And God sent the Holy Spirit as a helper to us that we might truly follow Christ, making him the boss that. God would lead us through the Holy Spirit. And every decision, every dream, would be filtered through His Word with the goal of glorifying Him in everything. Let me give you just a taste here. The Holy Spirit helps us to explain the Scriptures, to empower us with the spiritual gifts that God has given us. He comforts us, and He guides us. How do we not want that? We don't just need to want that. We, we need that. Like we need it. We need the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe me, look at the case in point of the 12 specimens that lived with Jesus and followed Him for three years and how that turned out for them to try it on their own. It says when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost... It changed the people. It gave them the ability to follow Jesus at that point. That's good for us today. That's good for us today. Because even still, we're still sinners. And even still, we're still going to jack it up. But even still, we're still reminded that not only is Jesus the one that did the work, but that the Holy Spirit is the one that can lead. It's not up to us to be smart enough all the time. It's not up to us to be good enough all the time. Because we're not. We're human beings and we're sinners. And God has made up the difference by sending the helper that we need to help us to follow our Savior, our boss. And that's pretty boss. This morning, maybe you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior. Maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm just going to tell you, He's longing for that. He loves you. He loves you. He loved those knuckleheads that He called to be a part of His crew and He already knew what they were going to do. And you know what? He looked at it and He said, that's part of the plan. Judas, come on with me, buddy. And under his breath, I'm wondering, did he just ever once in a while go, oh, Judas, going to sell me out here before long. But it's part of the plan. And I'm glad you're here and I love you. Because that's what he did. And that's what we're called to do. Just like he didn't really come to heal them to get rid of sickness. He healed them that they might know him. And the truth is, is that when we serve others, we serve for the same exact reason. We serve the people that God has put in our lives. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves and not so that uh, we can chalk another one up on the, on the page, but so that, in hopes that they too might know who Jesus is. How does that happen, Chris? Here's how it happens. Why are you doing this? Why are you helping me? Or why would you help those people? Or why would you paint that wall at the school? Or you, why are you doing this? Why are you taking this time? And they are gospel opportunities for us to say because Jesus has called me to serve others that they might know Him. What's that mean? Huh. Door wide open. Jesus saved me. I'm a sinner. I need him. You do too. If you don't know him, I'd love to talk to you about it. I'm scared to death to even tell you. I don't even know what to tell you. Uh, let's go talk with some other friends of mine at my church or whatever. And, you know, let's just let the Holy Spirit do a little leading. How about that? What's that look like? How's that change our community? I'm praying for it. But we got to follow. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for thank you for the cross. Thank you for an empty tomb. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we don't do this alone. We need you. And we do want to follow you. God, guide us and help us to do so. God be our leader. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for loving us despite all of the stuff in our lives. God, I pray for any one person that's listening to this right now that hasn't trusted in you, that hasn't believed in you. Maybe they're trying hard to, to win it on their own or earn it or whatever it is. God, I pray that you would let them know today, God, that it's a gift. And all we can do is receive it. God, I pray, Lord, that you would save them from their sin today as they believe and trust in you to be the boss. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.